You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Today we're going to talk about God's grace and how we can get to a place in our lives where we approach God with confidence rather than hesitancy and fear. Confidence, it's not arrogance. It's trust. We trust the one we're approaching. But to truly approach someone with confidence and trust requires that we know who we're approaching. Not just a shallow, stagnant knowledge of God, like Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But an ever-growing, experiential relationship with God. You know, many of us remember the, the popular bracelets, Maybe, maybe it made its way to like bumper stickers as well, but WWJD. Remember that? Everyone had one of those bracelets back in the day. What would Jesus do? Well, to answer that question, what would Jesus do? It requires that we actually know who Jesus is. What he says, his convictions, his passions, how he reacts to people and how he reacts to situations. And we learn this from the Bible. We learn this from each other as we are growing in our relationship with God. And we're going to look at a man today who learned about God by spending daily time with him. And I'm reading this book called Twelve Ordinary Men. And it's about uh, Jesus' twelve disciples, twelve apostles. And so I want to read this quote out of this book, Twelve Ordinary Men, about this, uh, this apostle. His name is mentioned in the Gospels more than any other name except Jesus. No one speaks as often as he does. No one is spoken to by the Lord as often as he was. No other disciple is so frequently rebuked by the Lord as he. And no disciple ever rebukes the Lord except him. No one else confesses Christ more boldly or acknowledged his lordship more explicitly. Yet no other disciple ever verbally denied Christ as forcefully or as publicly as he did. No one is praised and blessed by Christ the way he was, yet he was also the only one Christ ever addressed as Satan. The Lord had harsher things to say to him than than he ever said to any others. And this man, of course, is Peter. And um, as the years went by, he experienced God's grace and mercy through this enduring devotion to him. Although Peter messed up many times, and we're going to read about a lot of his mess-ups. He never quit. And although he questioned Jesus on many occasions, he put his trust completely in Jesus. And I want to, I just want to say, I'm going to define grace in just a moment. At least, there's plenty of definitions of grace, but I'll give you a couple. But before that, I just want to give it up for the students one more time. They've done such an awesome job. Great job, you guys. If this is your first time, they are not normally up here singing, and yet they sound like they do this every week, right? Um, Really appreciate just their hard work. Like Catherine said, we were out late last night at at a worship concert in Panorama City, and of course we went to In-N-Out afterwards, and it was cool because this In-N-Out right next to the Panorama High School, it was filled with... like. I couldn't recognize one person that wasn't from the worship night. And it was really cool. It was like a slice of heaven. Um, but then they got up early and came here and 
and really uh, prepared in an excellent way. And again, we have uh, a campus ministry. I, I already announced that, but I want to say a big thanks to Brian and Missy Hood, who are the shepherds of our campus ministry. And so they have taken the campus students under their wings, and uh, they've, they've uh, had them into their home. They're, they're training them into adulthood, and uh, Brian's given them some work. It's been awesome. Thank you, Hoods. And I just want to say, these students, right, that you see here, students um, in the crowd, this generation is going to change the world. They really are. And that doesn't mean that, that we can just kind of toss in the towel and let them do the work. No, it's, it's going to take us partnering together. They have so many dreams and so many talents. They have so much to offer. And, and we as adults, we can encourage them in that. We can breathe belief and life into them in those dreams. And students, the adults here, they have a lot of wisdom. They have a lot of humility. The adults know how to have fun, even though you might not think they do. We know how to have a good time, and, uh, and the adults here have, have really fought for their faith, and they've endured, and we can really work together to see God do miracles in the South Bay, in our homes, and really throughout the world. Because, it, you know, our, our students are going to move away, sometimes we might move away, and we'll take a piece of South Bay with us, and God will change the world. Um, I just want to say that, um, and I can't wait to see what God has in store for us when we, when we uh, really work together, and I don't want to miss out on it. Hopefully you don't either. Okay, so grace. Grace is favor. So in terms of God's grace, we're talking about God's favor. And it can be described as, a, as an undeserved gift, uh, but for maybe those who are more uh, guilt-prone, that word undeserved, it might spark some guilt in you. So, I want to say, and this was, uh, oh, here we go, the title of the lesson, The Throne of Grace. This is at Gigi's baptism, an awesome day, the throne of grace. So, grace here, we have favor and we have an extraordinary gift. Because you think about birthday presents and Christmas presents, those are undeserved too. I mean, we're celebrating Jesus' birth. And yet we get presents for it. Okay, so that's undeserved. Um, and then our birthday, we just happen to be born, and then we get presents for being born. <laughs> um, so gifts are undeserved. But really, God's grace is an extraordinary gift. And who do I have grace for? Well, I have grace for my kids, that's for sure. And I have this, this natural love for them, this abundant love for my kids. That if you were to come up and ask me, how do you feel about Zeke, my, my four-year-old son? How do you feel about Zeke? I wouldn't say, oh, I love Zeke, even though he messes up a bunch. No. Like, that wouldn't come out of my mouth. I'd be like, oh, I love Zeke. Oh, my gosh, he's such a caring boy. He's so adventurous. He's so brave. He's so, he loves wrestling. I love him because he's mine. And that's the way that God feels about us. That's God's grace. And we're going to talk about Peter today because Peter learned a lot about God's grace through the years. And I like Peter because he makes me feel better about myself. And he helps me see that I can be myself around Jesus. The good, the bad, and the ugly. He helps me see that when I mess up, 
Jesus is waiting there for me with His love, His grace, and His mercy. My relationship with God, it's not built on performance or perfection. It's built solely on God's love for me. And so I want to start off with Jesus and Peter's first interaction together. And in their first interaction, his name was not Peter. His name was Simon. In John chapter 1 verse 40, we'll pick it up there. It says here in verse 40, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, Simon Peter, it's the same guy. Those are his two names. Simon Peter's brother was one of the two who had heard what John had said uh, and who had followed Jesus. John the Baptist had said, look, it's the Lamb of God. And so then Andrew followed Jesus, the Lamb of God. And he said the first thing Andrew said, um, did was to find his brother Simon and tell him we have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. And so their first interaction together, Jesus gives Simon a new name. And it wasn't because he didn't like Simon's name. It was like, you know, I don't like that. That bugs my ears to hear the word Simon. No, he he was giving him a name that he could grow into. He was giving him a vision for his life because this name Cephas and Peter, they both mean rock. And Cephas is Aramaic for rock and Peter is Greek for rock. And so what an interesting interaction. Imagine you meet someone for the first time and they give you a new name. Nice to meet you, Dustin. Your name will now be John. <laughs> Wait, I like my name. Um, but... But he gives him this name that he can grow into, a vision for his life. And do we have any Dodger fans in the house? Yeah, this is a good time to be a Dodger fan. So back in the 80s, there was a young pitcher coming up through the ranks of the Dodgers minor league team. And eventually he landed a pitching job with the Dodgers. Although he was accurate and strong, he was timid. Tommy Lasorda said that he had a negative attitude every time he pitched. And after one game, he pulled him aside and gave him a verbal lashing known to his teammates as the Sermon on the Mound. His manager told him he pitched like a scared dog and that from then on he would be called Bulldog. He would pitch like a Bulldog. He'd act like a Bulldog. He would be a Bulldog. And Bulldog went on to set the record for consecutive scoreless innings pitched. 59 scoreless innings. He wasn't a bulldog, but he became one. And that, of course, is Oral Hershiser. We'll see that Peter also was not a stable rock, but he would become one. God's grace transformed Simon to become Peter the rock. God's grace can, can, can transform us as well. And I want to give you a scripture that you can take home and, and study out on your own. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 9 through 11, Paul is talking here and he refers to God's grace and says that God's grace was not without effect in my life. That God's grace actually uh, compelled Paul to work harder, to, to endure more. And the same can be true for us. God's grace can compel us to do more and transform us. I want to go through a few instances in Peter's life. I call Peter's life a roller coaster. And... 
I guess our lives could be called a roller coaster as well. But we'll see some of his ups and downs. There's Oral and Tommy Lasorda. So here we, here we have, uh, the, the first interaction was with Peter and, and Jesus, and he gives him this new name. And then the second interaction was, uh, Jesus was preaching to this crowd uh, at, the, at the sea, and, and the crowd was getting too big, so he needed to use a boat to go out into the water and preach from a boat. So he asked Peter if, if he could use his boat. They had just been fishing all night. And they were cleaning their nets. They were about to go home. And Jesus says, hey, can, can I use your boat to preach? So he preaches. And, and then while they're out in the boat, he says, hey, let's go into deeper water and let's throw out the nets. This is after a full night of fishing. They didn't catch a thing. And Jesus says, let's go out to deeper water and fish some more. And Peter is a, a little reluctant, like we, we already tried it, but because you say so, we'll do it. And they go out and they catch this miraculous uh, amount of fish. The nets start to break. The boats start to sink. And, G- and Peter's reaction to Jesus, when he sees this miracle, he says, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. This is Peter's reaction when, when he sees this miracle. I'm a sinful man. Peter is listed as chief among the apostles. Matthew chapter 10 is one of those instances, but in several of the Gospels, he's listed as chief. Not just first in the list, he just happens to be first. He is considered chief among the apostles. Uh, Jesus walked on water. Many of us know that story. He walks out to the boat on water. His disciples are out in the boat and they see him coming and they're amazed. Jesus is walking on the water. They've never seen it before. And Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out to you. And Jesus says, come out to me. So then Peter starts walking on water. The second person to walk on water. And then he gets scared and he begins to to sink. He was walking on water one moment. And then he got scared and he started to sink. Another instance, Peter is, man, he is committed to Jesus. And he said, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Man, I am going to be by your side no matter what happens. And then Jesus tells him the very next moment, actually, Peter, you're going to deny that you even know me three times. And in fact, Peter denied Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. A few others. Jesus, uh, he was washing his disciples' feet. It was the lowliest task, the lowliest responsibility that a servant could do. And yet Jesus did this for his disciples. And so he's washing their feet and he comes to Peter. And Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you, you have nothing to do with me. And then Peter turns around, you know, he goes from one extreme to the other. Well, well, then why don't you give me a bath and wash my head and my hands and my whole body as well? Like, so that's another instance. He was invited to pray with Jesus uh, in Gethsemane. And so Jesus brought a few of his disciples up there to pray because he was about to uh, begin facing his, his execution, really. And... And so he takes them up there, and Jesus goes to another place alone to pray and leaves his disciples, and they fall asleep. And so Jesus comes back, and they're sleeping, so he goes away again and prays, comes back. They're still sleeping. Three times he finds them sleeping. I don't know if you've ever fallen asleep on someone while they're talking to you. 
It doesn't feel very good. But imagine what Jesus was experiencing and, and the emotions that he was experiencing and the pain. And then he finds his best friend sleeping. So that was another instance in Peter's relationship with Jesus. There was another time when, when uh, Peter said, Jesus was like, hey, who do people say I am? And this is actually what we're going to dive into a little bit more. And he said, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then the next moment, Jesus is saying, get behind me, Satan. So, a roller coaster ride. The ups and downs of Peter's life. Maybe you can relate. We're going to turn over to Matthew chapter 16 and look at this interaction a little bit more. You guys with me? You guys awake? Nice. So, Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you, Peter, are, that you, Peter, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to, not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. What an interesting interaction. One moment, Peter is on top, and then the next moment, he's getting blindsided. And often that can happen. We're having a good day. Maybe we're having a good week, and then we get blindsided with some bad news. We get blindsided by a temptation that we give into. We get blindsided by just a bad situation. Peter just received the praise of his life from the Son of God. And he was probably feeling pretty good about himself. I mean, Jesus said, you have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Hades will not overcome you. You are the rock. And before he knows it, he hears, get behind me, Satan. He probably thought he was doing a good thing. He was trying to protect his friend Jesus. No, no, if it's up to me, you will not experience suffering and you will not experience death. I'm going to be by your side. And we know that Peter was a a pretty emotional and reactive guy. We'll see that uh, he he cut a guy's ear off also. Um, And he was probably feeling like, I'm going to protect my Lord. And sometimes that can be us. We think we're doing a good thing, but then it backfires. 
We're confident that this is God's will for our life. This thing that we're doing, man, this, is, this has been given to me. This has been directed by God himself. And then it doesn't pan out. And you're left confused. And wait, I thought that's what you wanted me to do, God. Why didn't it work out? And Peter had this idea in his mind that Jesus dying was not an option. No, 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 Jesus. That's not how this is going to go down. But Jesus' suffering was the very thing that had to happen for us to experience God's grace. The very grace that Peter needed to truly be transformed into the rock Jesus called him to be. Without Jesus dying on the cross, Peter would never become Peter. His new name would be pointless. A question for you. Have you ever been confused by God's plan for your life? I think that's a resounding yes, right? Have you ever been confused and you thought you were going down a path that was God's will and then a door was shut and you're like, I don't even know what to do now. I thought that was, that was my, all my eggs were in that basket, God. And it can be confusing. You know, let me drink some water real quick. Five years ago, Catherine and I got married. And Yeah, awesome, awesome moment. Woo! We got married, and before, we, before our wedding day, we were deciding where we were going to live. Whether we were going to stay in Long Beach, or whether we were going to move to South Bay. Some of you might not know, we were considering moving to South Bay five years ago. Um, and so we took some time to fast and pray and get advice separately. We weren't going to talk about what we felt like God was showing us and what advice we were getting, and then we determined a time that we were going to talk about it. So by the time that meeting came, when we were going to talk about it, I was 100% sure that we should move to South Bay. 100%. I felt like God had led me to that answer. I felt like this was God's will. And I was like, I feel so sure that I know Catherine isn't going to say anything else. Because God has spoken to me. And then Catherine comes over and she's like, so I think we should stay in Long Beach. <laughs> I was like, what? Are you kidding me? That goes against everything that I, have, that I have heard, that I have thought about, that I've heard from others over the last week or two. And I was so confused. And I, also, I honestly felt sad because I felt like I was so out of touch with what God wanted for my life. Like, I was so sure this was it. What have I been hearing? Like, just voices in my head? What the heck? Um... But maybe God was just saying, not right now, but you will move to South Bay someday. Who knows? But it can be confusing. But one thing I learned in that and in many other situations in life where a door shut was that we don't need to understand the destination as long as we know the way. And Jesus is the way. He's the way to our Father in heaven. He's the way to life, joy, mercy, and forgiveness. He is the way to God's throne of grace. And Peter didn't understand this yet. It wasn't until Jesus' death and resurrection that Peter's real transformation took place. And the same is true for us. True transformation takes place in our life at the cross, in Jesus' resurrection. We're going to hear from some of our students in a little bit. Um, Catherine uh, referred to it earlier, but they're going to share some things about their life and how God has set them free from some things and brought transformation in their lives. We're going to skip ahead to after Jesus was raised from the dead. And we're going to read this uh, this interaction with Peter and Jesus after he was raised from the dead. But we know that Peter denied Jesus three times, right? 
He denied him three times. He said, I don't know the man. And yet he was best friends with the man. He even called down curses to try to prove his point that he was no friend of Jesus. Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. He, all we know is that he appeared to them. We don't know what was said, but that he appeared to them and he said, Go meet me in Galilee. And so the disciples went to Galilee and they're waiting there for Jesus. And apparently they, they wanted to do something while they waited. They're like, okay, well, we might as well be productive while we're waiting here for Jesus who just raised from the dead. <laughs> um, and so Peter's like, hey, let's go fishing. Peter was an efficient guy. No pun, pun very intended. Um, and he wanted to make the most of his time. And we can, we can relate to that. We are a multitasking society. So then the other disciples follow. They're like, yeah, we'll go fishing too. So we pick it up in John chapter 21. And it says, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Sound familiar? Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. <laughs> he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, but they were not far, for they were not far from shore, maybe a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. You know, before we get into uh, Peter's reaction, verse 9 here is just incredible. And, you know, these guys had abandoned Jesus when he needed them most, especially Peter had denied him. And then Jesus shows up and cooks some breakfast. Cooks some breakfast, especially after a long night of fishing where they caught nothing. And Jesus provides breakfast for them. That is such unconditional love right there. Husbands, imagine you get into an argument with your wife. You do something or say something that hurts your wife. Yeah, no, it never happens, but just imagine. And... And, you know, they, they kind of storm into the kitchen because you've really hurt them. And you're in the bedroom and you hear some, some racket in the kitchen. And you're like, oh, man, they, she must be really upset. Like, it sounds loud out there. And you come out after a while sheepish, sheepish, sheepishly. There we go. That's a hard word. And to your surprise, there's a steak dinner on the table and some wine and some fresh baked brownies. And you're like, wait, is this a trick? Like, what's going on? That's unconditional love. That's love covering over a multitude of sins. Wives, maybe you could uh, forgive us in that way. <laughs> but what an incredible story this is. Jesus meets them back where it all began a couple years earlier. And the first time Jesus got into Peter's boat, this time Jesus called from shore. In both instances, Jesus found these fishermen empty-handed 
after a full night of fishing. Both times he tells them to try again. Both times they pull in a miraculous catch of fish. The first time the nets break and the boats begin to sink because of the weight of the fish. But this time the nets hold strong and the boats stay afloat. Before, Jesus' response to Peter's response to Jesus was, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Now Peter wildly casts himself into the sea to be near Jesus as fast as he can. His response to Jesus was immediate. He didn't show hesitancy. He came to understand that Jesus was the Son of God and He was full of grace and mercy. And at first, His sin made Him want to get away from Jesus. But then He came to realize that no matter how sinful He was, the best place to be was right next to Jesus. You don't throw yourself out of a boat and swim to shore to meet a man who's disappointed in you. You throw yourself out of a boat and you swim to shore to be close to the only man who has loved you unconditionally. In this moment, when we see Jesus on shore, Peter could have used a plethora of excuses to not jump out of the boat. I'm on a boat. There's a hundred yards of sea between me and Jesus. I can't forgive myself for hurting him. I don't deserve to be near him. After what I've done, he probably doesn't want me near him anyway. Put yourself in Peter's shoes. What excuse lies between you and Jesus? What excuse lies between you and Jesus? Peter realized that only with God could he truly be himself. Only with God could he find grace and mercy. And only with God could he be the rock Jesus called him to be. A few verses later, we see Jesus having an individual conversation with Peter. They've had their fish, they've eaten, and now Jesus addresses Peter specifically and calls him back to the mission of being the rock that God designed him to be. In verse 15, these are just a few quotes from Jesus. I'll read the whole thing. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. What a restorative talk with the man that you had just denied, who had called you years earlier to follow me. And he asks, he doesn't say anything about I'm disappointed in you. He says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And follow me. He restored Peter. This conversation was, uh, was for Peter's sake, really. It was for Peter's sake. Peter denied him three times and, he res- and Jesus restored him three times. By God's grace, Simon was transformed. The fisherman was transformed into Peter the rock. 
How has God's grace impacted your life? How has God's grace transformed your life? And if the answer is, I don't know, or this is the first time I'm hearing about God's grace, then I want to invite you to find out more. Please don't take my word for it. We would love to talk with you. Anyone in this room would love to tell you about the transformation that has taken place because of God's grace, because of God's favor in our life. Please reach out to someone today. Maybe you've been here for a long time, but you're still in the boat and you haven't jumped out, swam to Jesus, be near him. What's it going to take to make that move? You know, a transformation in, in, in my life by God's grace. Seven years ago, I was asked to preach at, uh, at a church service in Fort Collins, Colorado. I was a senior at Colorado State. I had never preached before. Uh, that was not something I was really excited about doing. <laughs> and I got a call when I was working on an essay from my minister, and he, he said, hey, do you want to preach in a couple weeks? And I was like, dumbfounded, like, are you calling the right guy? And I was like, yeah, sure, I'd love to. I don't know what I'm going to do or how I'm going to do it, but yeah, sure. And this is the message I preached about, this interaction between Jesus and Peter. And through the years, man, God has shown his grace and has transformed me. I mean, seven years ago, I I didn't dream of having Catherine as my wife and having three kids and being here with you guys. It's by God's grace. And I've messed up plenty of times. Man, I could go on for weeks about all the times I've messed up over the last seven years. But by God's grace, I'm standing here. Not because of me, but because of him. I'm going to read again the scripture that that Julian read at the beginning. And I think this scripture perfectly describes Peter's life and his relationship with Jesus and what he learned over the years. From that first interaction when, when uh, when Peter said, get away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man, to then when he jumped out of the boat because he knew he was swimming to a gracious God. Let's read it again. It says in verse 12, I'm going to read a couple more verses. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of whom we must give an account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Peter jumped out of that boat, and swam to the throne of grace because he knew what was waiting for him. Unconditional love. I'm going to invite the students to come up here now. They're going to share from their lives and then I'm going to close out in a prayer uh, for us to take communion and really approach God with confidence and remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. So I'm going to invite the students up now.
I used to be a slave of shame, but because of Jesus, I have been set free to receive God's endless mercy and grace. I used to be a slave to anger, but now, uh, through Jesus, I get to live happily with my friends and family. I used to be a slave to judgment, but because of Jesus, I am set free to be accepting of everyone. Uh, I used to also be a slave to anger, but because of Jesus, I have been set free to love unconditionally. I used to be a slave to self-righteousness, but because of Jesus, I have been set free to live a life of humility. I used to be a slave to bitterness, but because of Jesus, I've been set free to love others unconditionally. I used to be a slave to envy, and because of Jesus, I've been set free to live a life filled with compassion. I used to be a slave of insecurity, but because of Jesus, I have been set free to be myself through the encouragement of God's empowering spirit. I used to be a slave to fear and the feeling of worthlessness, but now because of Jesus, I can live with the joy of Christ always on my mind and the confidence that God will never leave me no matter what. God, it is by your grace that we we even get to remember what you have done for us on the cross. God, thank you for these students who have shared uh, vulnerably just the way that you have transformed their, their lives and set them free uh, from just the traps that Satan sets for us. God, I pray that right now uh, we can remember what you have done and, and the, the ways that you have set us free and the way that you have transformed us. Um, God, I, I just I can't wait to find out what your name is for each one of us, the specific name you've given each one of us. And uh, God, I pray that right now we would, if there are things that are holding us down or feel like are enslaving us, I pray that we um, can just come to you with confidence. You are the God of grace. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his blood that was shed for us and his body that was pierced for us. And thank you that we can have life through him. We love you and pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.